Welcome to Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast. In this format, we bring you timely and relevant conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Join us as we explore new ways of thinking about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to click on the subscribe button. Now here's Peter Cattere, Head of Sales and Marketing for Oppenheimer Asset Management with Christopher Barsky, Head of the Oppenheimer Asset Management Consulting Team. Good afternoon. This is Peter Cattere, Head of Sales and Marketing for Oppenheimer Asset Management. And on behalf of the entire Oppenheimer team, let me thank you for joining us for our podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by a longtime friend and colleague, Chris Sparsky. Uh, over the last almost two decades, Chris has been instrumental in crafting and shaping the OAM unique approach to investment manager research and due diligence, both on the traditional and alternative investment platforms. Uh, Chris currently serves as the head of the Oppenheimer Asset Management Consulting Group, directing OAM's research, diligence, and manager selection efforts across a traditional investment platform with as- assets in excess of $13 billion. Uh, Chris, let me welcome you to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. Happy to join. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, To begin, you and your team are in the process of introducing a new research series, and today we'll be discussing the first piece in that series entitled Big Tech Drives Disparity Between Growth and Value. Obviously, heading a due diligence team and meeting thousands of professional money managers and firms a year creates a very unique perspective. Um, But what's the catalyst behind the latest research series, and what's the thinking of you and your team? Yeah, Peter, I think it's a great question. I think when I moved over into this role just a couple months ago, I wanted to think about really a framework for presenting research to our financial advisors and our, and our clients. And that framework, I wanted to be um, very analytical, data-heavy, and provide insights from our team. We have a deep team of 10 individuals here at OAM Consulting, and we wanted to provide a framework for having better conversations around investments, better discussions that will ultimately lead to better investment decisions for all of our portfolios. And so we thought about what are the topical issues in the market today. And I think first and foremost is this related issue of growth and value factor investing that intersects with sector performance and the constituent companies that are, that are driving those divergence. So we really thought of it as a, how do we build a really a mosaic of, of, of pieces that would be updated regularly um, and that would identify the opportunities we saw in the market and the risks. And that was really the framework by which we wanted to, to construct. And that's why we started this, um, we call it the Research Bites. And, and this is the first piece that, that just came out last week and uh, three more in the uh, pipeline to come out shortly. Excellent. Well, we'll certainly look forward to seeing those. So let's shift gears and talk about the current piece that was released and that your team has been working on entitled Big Tech Drives Disparity Between Growth and Value. Uh, You mentioned disparity in the title. When did this separation really begin and when did it really show itself in an obvious way to you and your team? Yeah, it's something I think that's been occurring for, for a few years now. And then the COVID pandemic acted as an accelerant to already existing trends in the market. Um, typically, when there's a market correction, the stocks and the sectors and the factors and what's really been in favor um, have a, a strong reversal. And instead of, of that occurring when the COVID pandemic hit, hit the U.S. markets in March, um, we didn't see a reversal of what was the best performing. We actually saw an accelerant. And so 
Um, it's been estimated that because of everyone's behavioral changes and uh, working remotely, um, not going to restaurants, not going to um, tra not going on travel, um, using more techno technological services, e-commerce, um, it's been estimated that the trends that were already in play were accelerated by four to six years. And, and there's a data point around that we saw in, in May that the 2020 May e-commerce sales data was a 77% year-over-year increase over 2019. And so typically, I think that what is what was surprising is people thought there were um, overvaluations in the market because of what had performed so strongly in 2019. And those have been, they was held up the best in, in, uh, in March when the market fell. There were the areas of the market that have accelerated um, out, of the, out of the trough uh, most powerfully and are the best performers uh, to date. What's amazing to me and, and what I've read in your research has been the uniformity of that point across any segment of the market, whether you look at the large cap growth to value spread, mid cap growth to value, small cap growth to value, international, very, very uniform. Is that, a, is that an indication of the strength of this trend? I think so. I think it's, it really t talks to the behavioral changes and how that hits revenues and earnings of, of companies. Um, it's both business spend and individual spend. And I think that's that's across market cap and it's across geography. Interesting. Interesting. So I want to put some numbers around the disparity here and let's look at the spread between sort of sector performance in this market. If I did the math correctly, Chris, between the top and bottom performing sectors, it looks to be in the neighborhood of a 67% spread between information technology at a plus 38 and energy at down 27, 28. Talk about that for a minute. How far outside of the norm is that spread? Yeah, so we've actually updated the numbers, you know, subsequent to, to putting out the first draft and and just because we thought it was it was pertinent to do so. And it was actually a mirror image. So tech is the best perform, performing sector over the last 12 months at positive 36% in the S&P. And um, energy is the worst performing sector in the S&P at down 36. So up 36 for tech, down 36 for energy. So a 72% delta or difference between the best performing and the worst performing. And, and this goes to you know, the extreme measures um, of the trend, but also it goes back in history towards uh, challenging the, the peaks of divergence in the, in the tech bubble. And so it really drives, as we said, the acceleration of e-commerce and software as a service and other technological services and behaviors and spends on one end, and then the lack of demand for energy. As we saw uh, the oil price go actually negative briefly in, 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 um, in April. So obviously tech, infotech broadly is driving a, a great amount of the total return. Let's dig into that a little bit. And we have to touch on the fangs, right? You can call them the momentum names. You can call them the quarantine trade. You can call them the fangs or, or whatever, but they're a very narrow basket of stocks driving the market. How much have they contributed and how much are those names driving the broad indexes? Yeah, we were, we've been following the headlines, and we we talk to our managers on a daily basis, and even we were suppressed. We we, we really were. If you think the the six names sort of Fang plus Microsoft, so Facebook, um, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and I said and Microsoft. So those six names, if you equally weighted them 12 months ago and invested in them, you'd be up 44 percent. And you think about um, the S and P over that same period is only up seven and a half percent. And so we look at different factor benchmarks or factor indices. So a little bit in between there, as you'd expect, is the Russell 1000 growth index. It's up 23. 
and the Russell 1000 value is down 9%. So the divergence goes from up 44% for just those FANG plus Microsoft and down 9% for the value index. And so when people broadly talk about the recovery in the markets, um, it's happened to some degree. Um, it's happened on certain indices, uh, but it's really concentrated and there's not great breath in the market. And so um, that's what we're really digging into to understand how our managers are performing, um, where the opportunities are going forward, and where clients should ultimately allocate capital because you, know, you don't get yesterday's returns, you get, you get tomorrow's. Chris, did I read in your research piece that that basket of stocks has contributed greater than 100% of the total return of the index? That's right. When you look at the S&P, um, those six names have contributed 8.1% over the last 12 months, and the S&P's total return is 7.5%. So 8.1% from those six names, 7.5% for the total. So the, the other um, 494 names are in aggregate negative, those six names are positive 8.1% in terms of its attribution to the bottom line of the S&P's return over the last 12 months. So pretty astounding. So Chris, is it not, has it not always been, uh, you know, one of the very important points active managers have point to that there's always a big divergence between the winners and losers. When you look at a 72% delta between top and bottom sectors, that bodes rather well for active managers, right, who can make decisions in the market, make decisions in favor of sectors and, and out of sectors. Talk a bit about how you see active management versus passive management navigating through this disparity. Yeah, I think, I think that's the case over time. But I think within different um, periods of time in markets, there become um, segments that are, I'm not saying this is a bubble, but I'm saying that there are periods where, um, you know, different trends percolate. And this trend is something that has gone on for very long. It's eating up more and more in terms of market share. Um, it's eating up more and more of the, the aggregate um, allocation within the indices. And the, the ETFs and the indices are just reinforcing it because by mandate, they are forced to buy more and more and more of the stocks that have the greatest market cap, i.e. you're buying things at a higher price, um, at a higher weight in your portfolio by buying into directly into an index. And so typically these things have occurred, um, and, and we actually just passed the concentration in the top names of the S&P, they passed the concentration record that occurred back um, at the peak of the tech bubble. And so when these things revert, they, they, can, they can take a long time, months and years in this case, to occur, and they can actually revert quite quickly, as we saw with the, um, the popping of the tech bubble. And so I think the opportunity set is, one, to identify um, the winners, but it's also getting out of the way of the losers when the valuations go too far. So it is a balance between finding interesting and attractively priced equities and securities, but also from a risk management standpoint, ensuring that you're not overly concentrated um, in certain names. And, and I would argue that the ETF um, themselves or the S&P ETFs or the, or the broad ETFs have a level of concentration that would you know, concern us. Let's be specific on concentration, Chris. Looking at the FANG basket, maybe the FANGs plus Microsoft, what do they represent in terms of a weighting of the S&P or a weighting of the Russell 1000 growth? Yeah, as we, as we walk through the, the performance and, and the performance of FANG plus Microsoft being up 44%, um, you'd expect that the greater the concentration, the better the performance would be. So the um, Russell 1000 growth has the highest concentration and it also has the highest performance. So 38% of the Russell 1000 growth as of June 30th is allocated to those six names. So when you buy a, what you believe is a diversified basket of securities, 38% of your capital is allocated into those six names. 
And, and similarly for the S&P, um, that is at 22%. So 22% of your capital, when you buy um, the SPY ETF or another index tracking ETF, 22% of your capital is allocated to those six names. Conversely, the area that's most out of favor is, is value or devalue. And the Russell 1000 value is allocated 0% to those six names because they are not, by definition, value companies. They don't have a value factor. Understood. So let's sort of shift gears maybe and go up a level, Chris. You spend your day speaking really with professional investors all day in a due diligence and research capacity. Obviously, these trends uh, you know, have become so apparent they're not hard to spot. What are the thoughts on the minds of the investors, money managers are speaking with? How are they navigating through this? And how are they attempting to create differentiated returns in a market that looks so similar? Yeah, I think on the growth side, you're trying to invest in companies that have a, a fair degree of runway with minimal risks in front of you. And so companies that can continue to gain market share, bring out new services, win new businesses. Um, and there are a number that I mentioned that, that have that runway ahead of them, even, in, even though they've appreciated um, you know, quite substantially in our, our large allocation in the index. Um, some of those have, have great runways in front of them. Others, I think, um, in that segment have risks. I think we're starting to see concerns uh, come up and, and actually get addressed. Um, we saw an article that came out just in the New York Times today. Uh, we saw a prominent investor who previously worked at uh, Facebook mentioned that, you know, there's a few things to keep in mind with, with some of these businesses, and one of those is tax, one of those is regulatory, and another is antitrust. And so one of the issues we had around the tech bubble was, was some of that antitrust um, issues. Um, and, and it's interesting enough, we taped this on a Thursday, and in just a few days on Monday, um, executives from a lot of those firms we've talked about, those companies we talked about, would actually be on Capitol Hill at the con congressional hearing. So the, there are some concerns there with regard to both um, in the U.S., it's actually a bipartisan issue, and uh, globally with regard to those um, government oversight, whether it be tax, regulatory, or, or antitrust. And then on the other side with the value, we're seeing companies um, that are trading at valuations that are substantial, substantial discounts to the market, substantial discounts to growth, and we're seeing the premium um, for value to be um, well outside the historical norms when it comes to um, you'd expect to pay, I mean, to put it another way, is you'd expect to pay a premium for high-growth businesses over low-growth businesses. And that's fair, and that should be the case. Um, today, we're seeing um, multiple standard deviations outside of that norm. And so, you know, by definition, value is, is less expensive or may, potentially more attractive versus growth um, if you can pick out the right companies. And, and we're hoping to, to partner. What we've done through our extensive due diligence is we believe is identify investors and partner firms who are looking at deeply and performing, um, you know, diligent analysis on businesses in terms of, you know, what their moats are, what their sustainable advantages are, even if they are in the value sector or in a value space or a sector that's a bit out of favor, you know, how do they grow their market share out of this you know, disruption that is the COVID pandemic? And how do they actually come out stronger? And we're seeing that as well. And we're seeing um, some of our best uh, highest conviction managers putting capital to work in, in businesses they, they never really thought would, would ever come down to the valuations that are able to enter at. On the other side of the ledger, again, to stay in the value side for just a moment, obviously we've talked a little bit about energy, but what what would you describe as really the, the deep value sectors right now that you're seeing you know, in this environment? Yeah, I look at some of the, the managers, some of the positions that have been added to our conviction managers on, on the platform. And they are in those spaces which are in the bottom performing sectors of the market. So energy, um, 
financials, industrials, real estate. And those are some of the, those are actually the four sectors through June of over the last 12 months that are negative. And the remainder um, are positive over, over the prior 12 months. So those four sectors, um, you know, they present the ponds in which our managers want to fish. It doesn't mean they're only going to fish there, but it's one place that provides a, you know, well-stocked, well-stocked, uh, you know, fishing hole. And Chris, you mentioned when when we're recording this discussion, we're obviously also in the in the midst of earnings period for many of the companies that are uh, that have been discussed. Obviously, w- without being you know too specific, what are your expectations of volatility here in those names and the and the real momentum names here during this earnings period? Yeah, we're actually seeing a quite volatile day uh, today. I think there were some performance reports that came out on some of the names that I that I mentioned, and some of those names are. Are down there from two to five and a half percent on the day. So the the volatility I think is going to occur um, throughout the remainder of the year because um, with rates where they are, um, it just adds to the sensitivity of the pricing of these securities. And so I think we're going to see it based on um, we're going to see volatility based on COVID expectations, how managers or how um, the management teams of companies have um, you know provided guidance and how conservatively they provided guidance on the onset or if they're consistently underperforming and cutting guidance going forward. Um, so I think it, it's going to be largely a reaction of the market participants versus expectations, um, the expectations that are set by management teams, but also the expectations that um, individual investors have um, for the economic recovery in the U.S. and, and globally. Excellent. That's great, Chris, and and very interesting information. I appreciate you covering this topic. I know this is the first in a series of research pieces that will be coming from your team. Can you give us a bit of a preview of what we might expect next from your team? Yeah, that's right, Peter. This is really um, the first piece in the growth and value series, and we have three more in the pipeline that will come out in the following week. So this was about performance of sectors. The next piece should be on um, performance of the growth and value factors. And then so we did a performance piece on sectors, performance piece on on factors, and then we'll do a valuation piece on on each sectors and a valuation piece on on um, factors. Well, we'll certainly look forward to seeing those uh, pieces come forward, Chris. I want to thank you for your time and your insight today. I really appreciate this. Uh, it was a great conversation, and I'll look forward to uh, a future discussion. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Peter.